Cup of Tea Tales, Places to Go in the 1970s, Leeds Nightlife, Pobs, Cinderella Rockefellers, The Hofbrau House, In Time and Leeds Colleges. From probably the fifth form at Roundy School, I extended my nights out from just the Chain Bull and Phoenix Bar at Roundy Mansion to later nights out in Leeds City. A friend of mine, Dave G, was into real ale, and at the start of the 70s, camera campaign for real ale movement was getting to be a real force. Dave used to brew his own beer at the time, and his parents didn't seem to mind that he wasn't 18. He would have beer bobbling around, and so did his father, and the house had the strong aroma of yeast, hops and fermenting beer. Home brewing was quite a thing at this time, and most Saturday afternoons I'd go round to Dave's house and listen to whatever new albums he'd bought. Pete and others would often attend, but many times it was just the two of us. When this was the case, out would come his homebrew. The crown top of the bottle would be prized off and there would be a resulting hiss. Dave would pour two glasses, trying not to disturb the beer, which had a thickish layer of yeast sediment at the bottom. His beer had two distinctive qualities. One of these was that it was an acquired taste. Unlike the commercial brews, it had a strong flavour, and his varied recipes produced some interesting and at times challenging flavours. The brews also had a high alcohol content and were strongly coloured. David was always buying new albums, and he had a very eclectic taste. He would buy albums after listening and reading reviews, whether he'd heard the artist or not. It was through him that I heard The Man Who Sold the World, one of David Bowie's first albums, and Hunky Dory. He was also keen on some more obscure artists, such as Andy Pratt, who had a minor hit with Avenging Annie. We would sit, drink and smoke, and all the while listen to whatever was new to his collection. Dave lived between Hare Hills Lane and Gledhow Valley Road in the Gledhow Parks, I seem to remember, and it was rare that his parents were in the house. As the afternoons wore on, we became quite merry. Dave was always very generous and he would ply me with drinks whether I wanted them or not. When his supply of beer was getting low when we were less fussy, even the sludge at the bottom was consumed. As this was Saturday afternoon and we were usually meeting people in the evening, it was not a great start. Being quite sloshed by tea time, we would head off to meet up with our other friends. Sometimes that meant going into Leeds and often meeting in a camera pub in Sheepska. It might have been the White Stag, but I thought that was a Tetley pub. Whilst there, Dave would buy rounds, and if there were just the two of us, I would have a line of pints, whilst Dave set the pace and wanted me to keep up. I don't know how he did it, or I did for that matter. From here we would walk into Leeds, and often we would go to Leeds Poly for either concerts or some of their discos. We'd usually miss the last bus and end up walking all the way back home, Needless to say, much of the evenings would be a blur, and even after a late rising the next day, I would swear I would never do it again as the hangover was awful. Dave never seemed to be affected, and was ready to go again on Sunday night. Younger readers probably didn't know about the pub closing times. Public houses had to close at 10.30pm, and last drinks was shouted out shortly before closing time.
This allowed time for all drinks to be consumed before the pubs had to shut. What this did result in was the very quick consumption of drinks in the last half hour, produced large numbers of intoxicated people pouring out of pubs at the same time, and probably contributed to some of the aggression that occurred. Nightclubs did not have the same restrictions, and they could serve alcohol until the early hours of the morning. On clearer nights, we would meet up at Leeds Polly and have a few beers and play snooker, whilst hanging around in a group and having a good time, and then move on to some of the late-night entertainment venues. We had to plan in advance if we were going to a club, as suitable dress codes were in place. Shirts with collars and no jeans were the rules for most, and even then you had to appear sober and sensible for the bouncers to allow you in. Large numbers of lads in a group would often be refused, and it was easier if you were a couple. Around the Merrion Centre there were a few places to go, and for that reason, drinks in the general wade could be the starting-off point. The most popular at the time, I recall, was Cinderella's Rockefeller's. This was at the back of the Merrion Centre, and it was owned by the late Peter Stringfellow, who later went on to greater things in London and the USA. The clubs were upstairs in a two-storey building, and Rockefeller's was supposed to be classier and catered for older clientele, whereas Cinderella's was for the younger clients. The music and decor in each would match the style for the age group and was louder in Cinderella's. Despite being separated once in, you could move from one section to the other. Lights flashed, the dance floors were busy and music belted out. Chic, Bee Gees, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Cool and the Gang, Marvin Gaye, The Stylistics, the list goes on. Never my choice in music, but it was well suited for the clubs. Girls would often dance in circles around their handbags and interested boys would approach nervously. They could be rejected with a curt word or just by being ignored and the lads' mates would fall around in hysterics at their discomfort and rejection. If they were successful, then the friends would not be quite so clever and envy would be the response. There were steep steps that led up to the clubs and once inside, it was an impressive, magical world. Glass floors, plush seating and very dim lights impressed. And in Cinderella's, conversations were difficult with the deafening volume of the music. If you did want to talk, you'd go through to the Rockefeller's section, where the music was at a slightly lower level. There were always staff keeping an eye out, and I don't ever remember there being any trouble. My friend Dave was not the best coordinated person. He was tall and long-limbed, and I do remember his attempt to impress a group of girls with his dancing. His style was what I would now say seemed like a fairly accurate imitation of Mr Bean's dancing. It certainly grabbed quite a lot of attention. Needless to say, it was not successful in impressing the ladies, but it was successful in getting a bouncer to tell him to get off the dance floor. Rejection never seemed to phase Dave, and a bit like the toys in the budgie's cage, he just bounced back and gave it another go. There was another local venue, and that was the end time. This was near to the general wade, and it was below street level. We went a few times, and again, I never saw any trouble. It played a lot of the same music as Cinderella's, and had a clock theme. What was common with both of these clubs was that the alcohol was very expensive. We, 
and I would assume many others, would make sure that we had sufficient to drink before going to the clubs, and when there we would only buy one or maybe two drinks. The best time to arrive was shortly before last orders, as great crowds would arrive after 10.30 wanting to get in, and many would be refused. The problem with these venues for us was that going always meant having to walk home. We didn't have a lot of money and so taxis were a luxury save for special occasions. I was just trying to think and I don't ever remember getting a taxi. The walk was interesting and meant passing the notorious Spencer Place near Hare Hills, but I never had any problems and made the trek many times. Another option was the Hofbrau House in the Merrion Centre. This was based on the Bavarian beer houses in Munich. When it first opened, a group of us organised a roundy outing, a bit like our visit to Batley Variety Club and Freddy Star. The Hofbrau House was downstairs and was set out with hordes of people sitting on long benches next to solid wooden tables. Beer was the only drink I can remember, and it was served in enormous glass-handled glasses called steins. When starting the evening, the steins were full with relatively small heads of beer, but later in the evening, as people became less discerning, the heads filled half the glass. There was an umpire band with men in lederhausen and fedoras and girls in frilled dresses with white blouses belted under the boobs. The evening was heavily organised with audience participation in singing, standing on the benches and stamping and much drinking. At the time, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. But like many venues, it lost its novelty value and became less popular. I seem to remember they even started having striptease to try to draw the crowds. I also know that bands played there at one time before it went the way of Tudor Banquets, Burnie Inns and other venues. I can't say that clubs were ever really my thing. I guess I was more of a hippie at heart and I preferred progressive music and rock to disco and pop. I was happier at the Poly, Thomas Danby College, Lee Juni, the Town Hall and other venues that had live bands. After saying this, I have some interesting memories of a night after watching Man United play and then attending Pip's nightclub in Manchester with Dave McAll and his younger brother and all ex-roundy schoolboys. I also was a regular for a while at Crazy Daisy's nightclub in Sheffield when I lived there in the late 1970s. This underground club was the birthplace of the Human League where Phil Oakey met his singers. If you enjoy my stories, then you might like to know that there are two books available, The Cup of Tea Tales, The Early Years, and Another Cup of Tea, The Teenage Years, are available on Amazon and also on Kindle.